were legit not gonna believe it but I got a night to my freaking self that's right this stuff is so rare for me and even more rare I didn't have to care one iota about the playlist in the car and whether anyone else was gonna like it so why don't you guys join me in this episode where I'm gonna break down some songs and influential artists in my life through my 90s angst playlist Hey, hey, randos. On today's episode, we are getting all kinds of 90s nostalgic because this gal got a little night to herself and I drove out to my camper for a night on my own before the family joins me. Um, You know, for the rest of kind of the weekend camping thing that we do pretty much every weekend in the summer. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I don't have a plan I've like nothing, like nothing planned. I don't plan on seeing anyone out at the campground. I'm just like, I just want like complete solitude to myself. So I leave at like, I don't know, probably like four o'clock after work. I stop at Starbucks. I get an Americano for the ride. So I'm feeling like, you know, things are, are looking up, you know, I'm, I'm just doing everything that brings me joy right now. So As I'm, you know, about to leave the parking lot of Starbucks, I'm like, I'm starting to have this little internal debate about, okay, what am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to a podcast on the drive out or am I going to jam out to some tunes? And then, you know, the internal dialogue I have with myself actually, (laughs) if I'm being honest, starts to annoy me because I go down this like, I don't know, dilemma, I guess, about what kind of podcast would you watch? Do you want to watch, you know, a funny podcast, a story, a one-off, a series, you know, like an advice show? Do you want something like crime, maybe in the cult range? You know what I'm saying? Like, it just all became too much, like too many decisions. So I'm like, no, 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 you're not going the podcast route. You're gonna, you're gonna sing your little heart out, Stephanie. So that's what I do. So I scroll my playlists. And I noticed that I made this playlist called 90s angst. What? Like, I don't even recall doing this. So I open it up. I'm like, what's on this potentially magical playlist? Holy shitballs. It brought me down a 90s nostalgia party. Like so many memories and random things came flooding back to me. I honestly, I had to stop browsing because I was getting so excited for what was on this playlist. Like, it was like, you know, when you just get like so excited because you haven't seen something or heard something for like a long time. Well, then I was like, no, 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 no. I want to keep it a total surprise and experience the randomness. So like I stopped looking. So then I did the ultimate road trip move. It's freaking hard, but when you commit, to the method I'm about to share, it's more rewarding than you will ever know. The method, the method I chose was shuffle. That's right, shuffle. Admittedly, I rarely select the shuffle option on playlists. I, I sincerely, like, it's kind of a weird hobby. Just ask my friend Shannon, who I make grocery store playlists for, but that's another story for another day. Anyway, um, I sincerely do like to make playlists. Like I 
I often put like a lot of thought into my playlists and, you know, I normally try to plan them so that like there's a sequence to what happens when, what song is played, why is it next to the previous one. I can't explain it, but it's just a thing that I do. Hence why the randomness of shuffle is not often a choice of mine, except on road trips, because it's such an adventure to discover, you know, like what's next, right? So I like the shuffle option on road trips. So I, I don't know really what's going to be happening on this playlist because I stopped myself from, from looking after I got really excited for the first few songs. So I don't know what's coming next, but I'm going to sing my little heart out like I'm Jewel in a coffee shop hoping to make it big so I don't have to go back to sleeping in my car. You know what I'm saying? That's the level of singing I'm going to be doing in this car of mine. Okay, you're not even going to believe it, but the first song that came on was Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. I can't even make this shit up. Like, what? So I am singing away, like singing away. And when the, you know, the guy with like three teeth passed me in his monster truck on the highway, I just looked at him and was like, I got a plan to get us out of here. I've been working at a convenience store. I managed to save just a little bit of money. We won't have to drive too far, just cross the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs and finally see what it means to be living. The dude in the truck started picking his nose. He legit killed my vibe, but whatever. Next song that came on was Mandinka by Sinead O'Connor. I freaking crushed it, guys. Like, I was singing so hard. And I gotta say, I loved Sinead back in the day. Now, the song Mandinka was actually recorded in the late 80s, but I did put it on this playlist because I listened to a lot of Sinead in the 90s. I mean, I remember watching her live on SNL when she ripped up the pick of the Pope. Do you remember that? Like, it was in sane for its time but you know if I think about that I'm not even sure that would be that crazy like in this day and age if someone did that I don't I don't think anyone would bat an eye really like I don't know that's a bold statement might be an unpopular opinion but anyway back to Sinead I remember that moment so vividly I was 15 years old I think she was wearing like a white t-shirt I remember thinking she was stunning, like absolutely gorgeous. And then, you know, she performed her song and then she, at the end of the set, she pulls out this picture of the Pope and she rips up the photo like live on TV and the cameras are super zoomed into this like picture that she's ripping up. And then she looks like, obviously the picture's crumpled up at this point and she looks dead straight into the camera and says, fight the real enemy. Man, that was a moment. Like it was talked about everywhere and was on every news outlet. Stuff got real and I loved every moment of it. Sinead was like the epitome of fighting for causes you believed in, standing up, calling stuff out. The 90s brought that out in me. It was just like such a time of discovery and learning and seeing these strong, badass female artists stand up for what they believed in was just awesome and inspiring to me. 
Okay, the next song that came on on this 90s angst playlist was um, Human Behavior by Bjork. Oh my God, I loved it. Man, I adored Bjork in the 90s. I got to see her actually in concert in 1995 in Toronto when she toured with Aphex Twin. My boyfriend at the time was super into concerts. Like when I say into concerts, I mean like sometimes a few in a week. So like he was always going to concerts. So obviously he got us the tickets. He wanted to see Aphex Twin. I obviously wanted to see Bjork. It was in some like, I don't know, like some warehouse, I think. I don't exactly remember the venue, but I feel like it was like a warehouse. People were like dancing crazy, wearing super weird random outfits. Like I was there for all of it. I loved it. It was, I don't know, it was a pretty awesome show. And I feel super fortunate to like have seen Bjork in concert. Like I I just have to say in the 90s, I was very fascinated by Bjork. You know, like I never knew anyone or knew anything about Iceland. I thought Reykjavik was fun to say, so I said it a lot. <laughs> she was just like so eccentric. Like I love the way she talked and her music was just different from anything that I'd ever heard at that time. I recall being so excited when she was in this movie um, and it was, it was released in 2000 and it was called Dancer in the Dark. Back then I was admittedly really into very strange alternative type of films so you know it seemed totally up my alley the movie was about this um like I have I don't have all the facts it was so long ago that I've seen this movie obviously like 21 years ago um but it was about this character um Selma who's a single mom and was saving money I think I think she was a cleaning lady Um, But anyway, she was um, saving money because she was losing her sight and she was trying to pay for an eye operation. She suddenly gets wrongfully accused of stealing and then her life just takes on a whole series of just tragic turns. Like, I cannot express how exceptionally sad this movie was. Like, it was just one of those movies where, like, you just ball your face off like it it took me a while to recover from this movie if I'm being honest and I I recall I don't know if it was an article that I read or seeing like her being interviewed at the time that the movie had been filmed like she was doing press for the movie and I, I can't recall the exact question but it was something like someone asked her about her experience in acting and whether she would continue acting in other films and I remember like she was flat out like, no, I will never act again. This process was too hard for me emotionally. Like I will never, ever, ever act again. And I remember like just thinking, wow, like that, like she must have went through the ringer, you know, getting herself involved or putting herself in character for this film. So it was, you know, it was pretty like, I don't know, it almost seemed like acting in that film just destroyed her. Okay, like that's the level of sad that this film was. Like if you ever, I don't know, if you're into really weird movies, see it. It's called Dancer in the Dark. But um, anyway, the next year in 2001, that's when Bjork was at the Oscars because her song, I've Seen It All, from the film Dancer in the Dark was nominated for Best Song. Now this was an I 
iconic time. I will say it. Iconic time because what she wore was the swan dress. You remember that? What a time it was. People were going nuts. Okay. She was criticized by so many people, you know, for just like being too out there. I even recall like back then, that's when like Joan Rivers used to do you know, kind of like a lot of the like Oscars coverage and like those kind of entertainment shows afterwards. Um, And Joan Rivers even called her crazy and that she needed to be in an asylum for wearing that flippin' dress. I have to say the swan dress is iconic. Like love it or not, it was a bold fucking move. Okay. And I was here for every second of that bold move. That dress was talked about for years. In fact, like I think Personally, I mean, I'm still talking about it, okay? Not that I'm that important, but you know what I'm saying? People still talk about the dress. People remember the dress. If they don't remember watching her on the Oscars, they remember the dress or they remember something about the dress. I mean, I remember Ellen wearing it at one point. I think she might have been hosting an awards show, maybe like, I don't know, the Golden Globes or something. Um, I mean, she was making fun of Bjork, which I didn't appreciate, but whatever. It's for the comedy, I guess. Um, John Stewart also donned the dress, I think at one point. So in my opinion, that dress was epic and I'm still so happy that she wore it. You know, cause like to me, just another showcase of another amazing creative female artist of the nineties, totally doing what she wants and being completely authentic like just her own self and that to me was just another aspect of the 90s of just being completely you not worrying about what other people think just doing what makes you happy and what you feel comfortable in or what makes you know what brings you joy sorry for the cliche but you know I think that's I don't know to me that's what the swan dress kind of embodies is like going to the swanky event that you're like nah no, no, I'm going to wear this super rad swan dress and you guys can do you. So I, um, I loved it. I loved that moment. Okay. The next song came on. Brace yourselves. The next song that came on was Gravel by Ani DeFranco. Okay. I don't think I have ever fangirled so hard over an artist. Like, you're you're gonna have to listen to my long, long, long love affair with this righteous babe. 90s stuff thought Ani DeFranco was everything. Okay, everything. Here's the deal. One of my besties is actually named Ani, believe it or not. Okay. It's spelled A-N-I. I'm pretty sure my my friend Ani always hated every September when roll call would happen because every single teacher we ever had always pronounced her name as Annie and she would always have to say it's Ani. Before we knew anything about Ani DeFranco, my friend Ani and I finally had a grade 11 English class together. I think that's actually how we got to know each other. I think we were like seated next to one another Um, and that's how I, you know, just kind of, yeah, that's how we became friends essentially. So we had this teacher named Mr. Haskell. Okay. And this dude was not like any other teacher I had ever had at that point. Like picture a dude with like long hair and a ponytail, a flannel shirt, jeans, and like red converse. Like 
When I first saw him, I was like, what in the actual fuckery was this? Was this guy a mole? Like a guy posing as a cool teacher, but is actually an undercover officer? I mean, we all saw kindergarten cops. So like, I get you're laughing right now, but Mr. Kimball made my freaking logic very plausible for this scenario. Okay. He could have been a mole. But anyway, looking back on it, I think this dude was fresh out of university and probably only a few years older than me and my friends. And he was probably a total burnout at that time. So anyway, now that you get the visual of me meeting my grade 11 English teacher for the first time, back to the story. So roll call happens and he gets to my friend Ani on the roll call, like the class list or whatever. And he says Ani and then her last name. But she doesn't really answer right away. And then she's like, how did you know how to pronounce my name correctly? And he just casually says, um, I thought it would be like Ani DeFranco. We were all like, who's that? Never heard of her. And he tells us, oh, yeah, like she's this singer songwriter that's incredible. She writes amazing lyrics. So, of course, because we're in high school, we all pretended to be underwhelmed. But um, secretly, we were kind of dying inside because this dude seemed fucking cool compared to like the pale male stale old farts that wore sweater vests and pleated pants and smoked in the teacher's lounge. You know, for real, there were some real winners that taught in my high school. Like one teacher called me Sarah for four whole freaking years. <laughs> That's right. I, I just stopped trying to correct him because... I was Sarah now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you going to do? Okay. So that's the kind of like winners we had at our school. Okay. We, I, I mean, okay. We had a few semi cool teachers, but most were old or older and probably just over teaching kids, you know, like when you just cannot be bothered anymore. And they especially didn't want to teach kids like us. Like we were little misfits, curious about everything, super alternative always pushing the boundaries. I mean, shit. Do you guys remember? Oh my gosh. Tangent, random alert. Do you guys remember morning announcements? Like, did you guys have that in your high school? Okay. Well, in our high school, they would normally let like different students take turns doing morning announcements. And what that also meant was you got to decide on the music for what, you know, I guess they called it traveling music. So when each student traveled between each period from classroom to classroom, you got to pick the music that they would all, you know, go from period to period. So it was kind of exciting, right? Because you, well, exciting, but also think looking back on it, it was kind of like this lame opportunity to be a DJ. And so (laughs) my boyfriend at the time actually got banned from doing announcements because he played that song, I Touch Myself by the Divinals. I don't think I've ever seen a teacher run so fast through the halls to the office to cut that song. Like this guy was booking it through the hallways. Like it was incredible to watch. Um, So I only tell you this because that's the kind of kids we were. We were 90s kids. We freaking rebelled against the system, the machine, the man, the boss. Anything we could do to be controversial, out there, different, you know, we were into it. So this Mr. Haskell guy seemed kind of like us. And 
I don't know, he taught in a really cool way and introduced us to like new and cool things and like, you know, the art space. And it was really exciting. So, you know, later on, I mean, a couple months go by. I don't really remember Ani DeFranco specifically, but um, I don't know, a few months go by and my friends and I decide, hey, let's go on a girl's trip to Toronto for the weekend and we'll go shopping downtown. And so uh, my friend Ani was with with the crowd that we went with. And, um, you know, like back then high school, like record shops were the rage, right? Like that's what you did. You'd go and you'd spend all your loot on like CDs. Well, at least I did. And so we obviously hit up Sam the Record Band downtown Toronto. It was this huge record store. Like my friends and I, we were all just like, okay, split up, see you in a few hours kind of thing. And I think we honestly did spend a few hours in that store. I have no idea how, but I stumbled on Ani DeFranco, probably like in the folk section. And I decided, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm just going to go out on a whim. I'm going to buy two CDs. So I went home and I played them over and over and over again. I just was shocked at, you know, how amazing her lyrics were. Every song was like listening to, I don't know, someone's like amazing journey or some kind of interesting story. I just, I could not get enough. I, I became obsessed. The first time I saw Ani DeFranco in concert, she was playing at Ontario Place and Hayden opened for her. I paid $14 for that ticket. And I remember seeing one of the girls from like Degrassi Junior High at that concert. <laughs> like it was a trip. Ah, oh, Ani, man. Like I legit thought she was the coolest. She left home. She lived on her, like just her own way. She established her own record label, Righteous Babe Records, because she just wasn't willing to accept shit at other labels. She wrote songs about gender identity, being bisexual, explored controversial topics. She wasn't afraid to tackle the tough stuff. Like she was the epitome of female empowerment. Like, I, I just thought she was incredible. And so in grade 12, <laughs> I had to do some kind of like presentation about, I don't know, a poem or a piece of writing. And I had to analyze it and break it down kind of thing. And I'm not going to lie, guys. I pulled the biggest fucking flex of a lifetime when I asked my teacher, who, not Mr. Haskell this time, a different one. So I asked this teacher, I'm like, hey, could I analyze song lyrics like instead of a poem or whatever? And, you know, the guy kind of seemed like a little bit of a burnout. And he was just like, yeah, sure, sure. Analyze song lyrics, which, you know, I took for code for I don't give a rat's ass. Just do the assignment. So I I, I selected a song and I chose an Ani DeFranco song. The song I chose, wait for it. Yeah, it was called Blood in the Boardroom. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's essentially about a woman in the boardroom among her male colleagues and she gets her period unexpectedly. So she leaves, she asks the secretary for a tampon and the secretary, uh, excuse me, the secretary feels sorry for her, but Ani claps back telling her that she basically holds all the power. And, you know, while the dudes are making the decisions, she can make life, she can make breath. Like it, it was bomb, right? And the last few lines of this song are this. Sitting in the boardroom, the I'm so boardroom, 
listening to the suits talk about their world. I didn't really have much to say the whole time I was there, so I just left a big brown blood stain on their white chair. <laughs> like, what? Legit. Imagine being in high school and my punk little ass breaks down a song about a woman getting her period in a board meeting, but not being embarrassed about it and basically saying F you. Um, excuse me, who did I think I was? <laughs> like, for real, for real, for real. Like, 16-year-old Seth? Like, what? Looking back on it, though, like, it's kind of freaking amazing, if I do say so. <laughs> like, pretty awesome that I had, like, the balls, the confidence, the just, yeah, I was doing it. Okay? Now, I knew I was trying to push the boundaries, like Ani was. Okay? I secretly wanted a reaction. Like, I wanted shock, horror, a couple WTFs. And, and I mean, I got a bit of that. A bit of that when I did my presentation. But, you know, if I'm being honest, most of the guys I hung out with in high school were pretty artsy, creative, and they're really into different perspectives. You know, and, and I will say, I did want to get a rise out of my teacher. I selected that song, I'm sure, to get a rise out of him. And you know what I got? A freaking A. That's right. I aced it. I aced the assignment. And, um, oh, did I mention that my teacher also asked to borrow all of my Ani DeFranco CDs? Yeah, I didn't expect that. The guy kept them longer than he should have. Okay? I think I made an Ani DeFranco fan. You're welcome. So my point is that Ani DeFranco was and is a very influential artist in my life okay she she is i love her she taught me about social issues things i was curious about she empowered me she gave me the confidence to fight the patriarchy and be a good human i do it for the joy it brings because i'm a joyful girl because the world owes me nothing but we owe each other the world God, that line is so damn beautiful. It makes me want to cry. Like, I actually did. I got the chance to see Ani again in concert here in Calgary a few years ago with one of my other besties, Al. And it was so overwhelmingly amazing to see her again, like live, that I burst into tears when she closed the show with the song Joyful Girl. It was a real moment for me. It was a real moment, guys. Okay, okay, okay. Enough swooning over my Ani. Next on the playlist, a band I hadn't heard in a long, long time. Okay? I wish I could play music on this podcast, but like, I don't know, rights and stuff, you know? But anyway, do you know this little beat or riff? I don't know. Bow, 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 bow. You get the drift, right? Did you guess? Did you guess what it was? Elastica. Elastica came on with their song Connection. Man, I remember Justine Frischman, the lead singer of the band. First of all, she had a badass haircut in the 90s that I wanted so bad. And, And she was also dating Damon Alburn. Um, at the time he was the lead singer of blur. You remember him with the like gorgeous blue eyes. And he later went on to form 
gorillas. Anyway, these two dated for like seven years between 1991 and 1998. And they were both leading figures in the height of Britpop. And you know what? I loved me some Britpop back then. I remember being kind of crushed when I learned that um, Justine and good old Damon had broken up. Okay, I, I mean, like, I didn't really know them, but I just thought they were like a cool music couple. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, a few years back, like just, you know, a few years ago, I guess, I was reading this article from like a music magazine online and the headline caught my eye. Uh, it was something like Elastica's Justine Frischman opens up about her split from Damon Albarn. And so I remember clicking on it because I was like, oh yeah, whatever happened to those guys? It was so fascinating because in this article, she goes on to share about how Blur infamously struggled to break into America. Like they were obviously very popular in the UK, um, but in the early days, they were having a really hard time breaking into America. Then while Elastica actually started to enjoy some success with their self-titled debut, Justine went on to say, I think it was hard for Damon when Elastica started getting some success in America. It's funny because we both thought we were too evolved for classic gender roles. But looking back, he thought his band more important because he was the guy. And on some level, I did too. Whoa. Like, wow. I found that to be so interesting and just hear her perspective on that. Because, you know, I... I just, I had always wondered, she was quite silent when they broke up, which was, you know, I, I respect that for sure. But I think it's just so interesting to have that kind of looking back and perspective of just like, yeah, we just thought we were like this really cool evolved alterna couple um, when actually gender roles and success and competition kind of played a role in our breakup. So fascinating anyway um okay next song on the playlist was an absolute delight and an incredible surprise that just it turned up serious nostalgic vibes okay and while we're doing this no no i'm not gonna sing again but what i am gonna say is bottles and cans just clap your hands just clap your hands where it's at I got two turntables and a microphone. That's right. Beck. My gosh, I love me some Beck. Seriously, seriously awesome. I have loved all of his music. You know, I, I mean, in the 90s, it was different, like eclectic. And the guy just did his own thing. And I loved it. One of my favorite memories in the 90s. It's kind of a long story, but I'm going to get there, okay? One of my favorite memories was when me and all my friends got tickets to Lollapalooza. It was like an epic, epic summer lineup. The lineup that year, are you ready for this? It was actually incredible when I think about it. The main stage headliners were Sonic Youth, Hole, Cypress Hill, Sinead O'Connor, who unfortunately ended up having to bow out because of pregnancy complications. And that devastated me. But Elastica and Moby replaced her for a few different shows. So that was kind of cool. That summer, um, 
In 95, my 13-year-old cousin, Ina, from Germany, uh, was here for a visit. She came for like, I think, six weeks or something. And uh, she came along to the show, and it was awesome. Probably the funniest moment of the entire concert was when we went to watch Moby on the side stage. Now, keep in mind, this was like 95, and Moby was not huge at that point. He actually didn't really get huge to like, I want to say probably four or five years later um, when his album Play came out. And fun fact about Play, the album, it was released in 99, but it didn't actually really get any recognition until he started releasing some of his songs to like different films and TV shows and commercials. And then the album blew up in 2000 and he became massively popular. In 95 at Lollapalooza, he wasn't even like that well known except for like maybe in the club scene and i like i wasn't really into like the raver kind of club scene that was huge in those days but anyway a few of us and my cousin decide to go over to this like side stage and we're gonna watch his his show he played my boyfriend at the time thought it was awesome and wanted to hang around to talk to him Ina and I stayed with him and surprisingly Moby came over to talk to the like the people in the crowd and I mean when I say crowd what I really mean is like 80 to 100 people tops like there was not that many people there because like no one really knew him so he starts talking to us he's you know Moby's like thanking us for watching his set which was really 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 nice in my opinion and my cousin said something and he noticed her accent and He's like, oh, hey, where, where are you from? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm from Germany. And Moby goes on to say, oh, yeah, like I've played a few gigs in Germany. And my cousin legit doesn't skip a beat. And she says, yeah, I've seen you. Yeah, I, I saw you in a rave in Dortmund. And Moby's eyes light up thinking, wow, like these are some legit fans here. And then my cousin follows the, yeah, yeah, I've seen you. I've seen you at a rave in Dortmund with, and you sucked. Like, my boyfriend and I were just like, what did she just say? Like, what? What's happening? I have never seen an artist cower and literally crumble in front of a 13-year-old punk. He was just like, yeah, yeah, like it wasn't my best gig. I was, you know, I was really off my game. Um, and he, it was like, he was like making excuses as to why he sucked. Like he, he was actually kind of sad to watch if I'm being honest. So anyway, we got the rock out of there. But that story goes down in history as like one of the most badass things I've ever witnessed like in real life. Like, you know, when you hear stories about that, but you're like, no, like I was there. I saw it happen. And it was incredible. Anyway, um, you know, I, I just, there's something to be said about, you know, the straight to the point bluntness of my German family. I realize it's not for everyone, but it was pretty epic and wildly still talked about today. Anyway, so Beck also happened to be playing on the side stage. And so we got the opportunity to go and watch his set too. It was incredible. And he ended up coming out into the crowd to chat with people afterwards. And he signed the back of our ticket stub. I don't know where I ever put that, but I remember him signing it. Um, yeah, like I just felt like a total rock star, but in reality, I was just a really, really excited teenager, meeting different artists, 
thinking it was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life. Like Beck was and is such a great artist and is so versatile. I love that he has albums that are funky and make you want to dance, but also those mellow albums that you just like want to chill to. I got to see him a few years back in Vancouver when Jenny Lewis opened for him. And I'm not going to lie, it was awesome because I didn't know she was opening. So yeah, huge Jenny Lewis fan. So it was like a double whammy for me. Okay, the next song that came on is Cheryl Crow. You remember her? Remember that song? If it makes you happy? Then why the hell are you so sad? Great point. Great point. So anyway, I instantly think back when this song comes on. Oh my gosh, it brings me back to this time in the 90s when I was working at a fancy hotel and I discovered that Cheryl Crow was having a secret fling with another high-profile guest that happened to be staying at the fancy hotel that I worked at. That's right. In the late 90s, Owen Wilson, who was not really known that well at that point, and he really wasn't that huge. He hadn't really hit it big in films yet. Um, he was filming Shanghai Noon alongside Jackie Chan, now, Jackie Chan had his own rental. He was not staying at the hotel. Um, but there was another actor, didn't really know who he was, named Xander Berkeley. So Owen Wilson, for some reason, would constantly come down to the front desk. He, more often than not, I hate to say this, but he often looked homeless, like just disheveled, weird I don't know, tracksuit type of vibes, you know, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, he would always come down to the front desk and ask if he could like exchange large amounts of American money. Now, I'm not going to lie. I think I had like a cash float of like maybe 75 to maybe $100 if I was lucky. And I mean, who goes to like a really fancy hotel and pays in cash? Well, I guess some people do. And you know who those people are? They're shady people, okay? They're people who don't want to leave a trace. I know because I watch crime shows, okay? Okay. So needless to say, when people want to exchange cash, it's kind of a huge pain in the butt in a hotel. Like, just do yourself a favor. Go to a currency exchange. Front desk agents are not currency exchange people, okay? They're never going to give you a good rate. And it's just, come on. You're really slowing them down, okay? It's not their favorite task. It was not my favorite task. So I found it super duper annoying that he would come down with this wad of American cash and want to exchange some every night, okay? Especially when like, I don't know, I always felt like movie crews had like people to do stuff for them all the time. I don't know much about the film industry and the inner workings of production, but... It kind of felt like that. So in my mind at that time, I was like, oh God, just get someone to exchange the money. So anyway, I'm still, I'm getting very tense about this money exchange. I, I don't need to be. It really wasn't that big of a deal. But my punk ass in the 90s thought it was a really big deal. And um, so he would come down every night and be like, hi, uh, can I exchange some US cash? And then, you know, after the first few times, I was just like, all right, I need 
to mess with this guy because it's the only fun you have when you work in the service industry. And so um, when he'd be like, yeah, can I exchange some cash? I would just say, um, I'm sorry, we only do that for hotel guests. Are you a, ho- are you a guest of the hotel? And he'd just be like, you know, I roll. Or another time, you know, he'd ask if he can exchange like $500 of US cash. And I'd be like, oh yeah, hey. I'm like, it's Mr. Watson, right? Mr. Watson? Hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. And again, he didn't like that. Um, Like he wasn't mad about it, but he was just like, for fuck's sakes. Like I could not make this guy feel less important. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. I am a terrible human and I'm going to hell for the sins that I committed in the 90s. But anyway, um, that whole thing, great. I later find out that he's exchanging love faxes and was apparently dating Cheryl Crow at that time. Yep, you heard me. No, 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 no. He was ahead of his time. No love letters for him. He was doing love faxes. Yep. I had a concierge friend who told me so. Mm-hmm. That's right. Anyway, back to the story. There's there's a lot of layers to the story, guys, so bear with me. So one day, Xander Berkeley, um, you know, the other actor in the film, who's the nicest dude on the planet with ice blue eyes and a semi raspy voice he comes down to the front desk with owen wilson <coughs> excuse me and so va 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 voom i was like seriously who's your little friend he's kind of gorgeous you know he was like an older dude like for me like i was early 20s at the time but like whew, fan fan okay he made me red in the cheeks often so my, my friend Robert, who also worked on the front desk with me, and I called him Fun Bobby, um, he was a real big movie buff, and he took me aside to tell me that Sandra Berkeley starred in the movie Mummy Dearest. Do you remember that Joan Crawford, like, biopic type of movie? Whoa, it was intense. Well, Sandra Berkeley played, like, I think one of her children or something. So Fun Bobby and I both swooned over Sandra Berkeley all summer long okay so for a few weeks you know we all like all of us front desk people would all like shoot the shit with him because like you know when you have like long stay guests at the hotel whether they're celebrities or not you get to know your regulars you get to know people and then you just kind of like you know you start shooting the shit in a different way it's and it's super rad so xander berkeley was rad basically is what i'm saying and then the best thing ever happened he finds out that my birthday's coming up and that we're all going to go out to party. And so he comes up to me and he's, you know, on one of our days that we'd shoot the breeze. And he's like, hey, I found out it's your birthday. Owen and I are going to come to your birthday party. I heard you guys are going out to party. We're going to show up. Where are you guys going? And I'm like stunned, right? Like, I'm sorry, what? like you guys are gonna come to my birthday party so like I write down the address of the bar that we're going to and um I I'm instantly blushing red okay like holy shit balls my inner monologue kept telling me like keep it together keep it together play cool play cool play cool okay so my birthday arrives we you know me and my friends we all go out to this bar 
and I'm talking a pretty big game, right? Like Xander Berkeley and Owen Wilson are coming to my birthday party. Okay. So like, I don't want to brag, but we're going to have an incredible night. Oh boy. Yep. Yep. So we all go out, we party because that's what you do when you're in your twenties, right? Like you just, that's the thing. You go to the bar, you're out with your friends, not a care in the world and you drink way too much, right? Yeah, yeah, that was us. So as the night went on, our special guests still had not arrived. In fact, they no-showed. Like, they didn't arrive at all. Okay? <laughs> I gotta say, I, I was pretty glad because I, I was pretty drunk, okay? I was pretty drunk. Like, I might have even gotten, like, probably cut off that night. I don't I don't recall all of it, but I remember being, like, losered drunk, okay? loser drunk. And so... It probably would have been super awkward had they showed up, if I'm being totally honest. But, you know, I leave feeling like the biggest fucking loser on the planet. Okay, because like I had to go to work the next day. So hungover. I had to face these guys. So these guests and everyone that was there, like all my hotel, you know, people that I worked with. Like imagine, imagine talking a big freaking game that these dudes are showing up to your birthday and then everyone gets excited and they don't show. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. Yeah. It was, um, it was embarrassing and, um, cringeworthy AF. So anyway, the next day I head into work. I have to work my full shift feeling like a bag of smash assholes. Okay. Yeah. You got the visual. That's how terrible I was feeling. But I'm also a very committed person. So there was no way I was going to let my team down. So I went to work. Oh, and I also was super broke and probably needed the money. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I have to work till like 11 or 1130 at night, that night, right? The night manager, Mary, arrives ready to take over. Now, Mary was a badass, guys. Like... I don't know how old she was. She was probably like in her 50s, I want to say. She lived alone. Her drink of choice was scotch. And she took no shit. No shit from anybody. Okay. She was a boss. So she, like, I thought she was wicked. Right. So anyway, I am ready to go home. This girl needs her bed. And then Mary just casually was like, hey, I have a message for you. And I was like, oh, okay. What's up? She's like, yeah, so you know the guest staying in blah, blah, blah suite? I'm like, yeah? She's like, yeah, he he called in looking to speak to you last night. Mr. Berkeley? Anyway, yeah, he, he called to say he was caught up on set. And he couldn't make it to your birthday party. But he wanted me to wish you a very, very happy birthday on his behalf. Guys, I legit could have died okay I could have died right then and on the spot like they almost came to my birthday okay they almost came to my birthday so anyway um I'm glad they didn't because I got really really drunk and I probably would have gotten inappropriate may have barfed on someone and then Owen Wilson probably could have faxed his secret friend Cheryl Crow to tell her about it so so things happen for a reason, guys, even in the 90s. Bonkers. So I guess what I'm really trying to say is that the 90s were a time. And what a time they were. 
a time filled with so many cool experiences and learnings and you know like just listening to all these tunes just got me really nostalgic for remembering those times you know the simpler times the time in your youth when you're discovering and finding out who you are like man I love listening to songs that just bring you back to a place a situation a funny story or just you know like a really fond memory this playlist even though it was a surprise I forgot I made it it just exceeded my expectations after just forgetting about it for so long so thanks for coming along on my little road trip ride and listening to my random adventures and random things that happened to me throughout the 90s Thanks for listening, friends. I'll see you on the other side.